Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. I hope you had a joyous Christmas season as we record this. We are right in the middle of it. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. Feel free to send along a comment on our contact form, and also feel free to send an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, my guest for the fifth or sixth time now is my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish. Charlie is the pastor of Foothills Community Church in, as I always like to say, beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia, which is located about an hour's drive, give or take, north of the city of Atlanta. And it's called Foothills Community Church because it is I'm not sure why they named it that, but one of the reasons might be it's in the foothills of the mountains and and uh, it's just a beautiful place. And I have come to appreciate Charlie. You have as well. We have just done through the Christmas season a Relentless Truth Rewind and uh, featured uh, several of Charlie's episodes. So Charlie, it is just an honor and a pleasure to have you back. John, it's always a pleasure. Hope hope I'm not wearing out my welcome. <laughs> no, no, you're you're good. We, uh, you know, just for the benefit of you who are listening, Charlie has agreed to take on some questions. They're all very important, and I want to be respectful, even though we're on a podcast format, which is kind of light and fun. I want to be respectful of these topics because these are areas. Some of these areas are areas that we all struggle in and and so charlie it is it's a blessing to have you here i just love to hear your insight on a few things uh charlie's going to be with us next week as well and we'll just see how far we get through this today but the first question is is really about the fruits of salvation what what does scripture say about the fruits or the the signs of a saved person and then after you, I've got a follow-up question after that, which, which really has to do with assurance of, of salvation, because I think so many people struggle with that. So, so within that question is, what do we do with false claims of salvation, and how do we know, and what, what does that look like? So if you'd respond, I'll try not to interrupt you for a while, and then I've got a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we... We have these views of salvation, particularly in culture, and I think what I mean by that is culture has kind of molded Christianity's view of salvation. For instance, walk an aisle, say a prayer, do all of these things, check these marks on a box, and then you can deem yourself a Christian. And if you think about these cultural marks that we've kind of come to adopt, it's really external has nothing to do with the internal. It's all about the actions or the works that we do to merit uh, our salvation, or we would never say this, but earn our salvation. And when you, when you look at salvation through these lens, you really miss the mark totally. And you put the emphasis on you, not God. 
Um, I love what John MacArthur said. If, if it was up to me to, to keep my salvation, I'd lose it tomorrow. And when we have this mark of, hey, I can earn salvation by doing these things, we've missed the gospel. Uh, I think one of the, the biggest doctrines that we're missing today is the doctrine of regeneration. Uh, literally within the church, there's a very mild understanding of what actually that looks like. And we may have talked about this in a previous podcast, but one of my favorite verses about what God does in the heart of anyone who's regenerated and saved is Ezekiel chapter 36. And I tell our congregation, if you want to know what it looks like to be regenerate in Christ, what true salvation looks like, take a look at the, the heart transplant that God does upon man. And, and very quickly, just where I don't uh, ramble too much, in Ezekiel 36, God is addressing the wayward nation of Israel, his people. And they are running wayward. They're worshiping idols and other, other gods, and they're not obeying the law of God. And God does not say, guys, come on, get it together, accept me, you know, pray me into your heart, these kind of things. But they, they can't do that because they're literally spiritually dead, as the Apostle Paul says. And so what God does is he, he says in Ezekiel 36, I believe it's beginning in verse 26, uh, look, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to rip out the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. And it's all about God saying, I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to transform you. And if you look at the text, the only thing that we have that we do, God says, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes, and then you will obey my rules. So you see the order of salvation is not, you're going to be obedient and decide to follow me, and then I'll give you salvation. No, no, no. God says, I'm going to cause you to do something that's not in your fallen nature, and then you're going to obey me. And we could go on and on on this topic, but therein lies a, a totally uh, biblical view of grace. That's mm-hmm. grace. So uh, so anyway, before I continue to go on and on, I want to make sure I'm yeah. touching on your question. Well, yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm wondering, so you have a spectrum of, of people as they look at of views, as people look at this issue. And one is, uh, uh, there's a group I'm wondering if you could speak to, and I think this group is huge. There, there's kind of a group of Christian secularists, and, uh, in, and sometimes we call them Christian atheists. But, but I'm thinking specifically of people who say, you know, I was raised, uh, not, this isn't true of me, but, but I, they say I was raised in, a, in an environment where I was a good Christian. I, I came from a good Christian family. And they don't mean when they say that I've been regenerated. They mean, you know, at Christian East, and Easter, uh, Christmas and Easter, I go to church or, or uh, I, I generally tried to live a good life. So comment for a minute. And then I'm uh, on that, on that I can be good enough. And then I kind of want to pivot and get you to look at this from a, how can we examine ourselves standpoint? Yeah. You know, I think of first Corinthians uh, and second Corinthians, the apostle Paul addressing the church and particularly a group within the church of the Essenes who had come on the scene and uh, they were adding to the law of God. They were, they were, misreading the law of God and adding other laws and rules to define their own, uh, their own righteousness, I guess. And today we see the same thing going on. We see a morphing of true Christianity. Again, I call it cultural Christianity where this has been in place, come about over a series of decades where we've 
we've ceased to look at Scripture and what God says and God's law, and instead, culture has kind of added their own uh, benchmarks, I guess you could say, of what it means to be a Christian. Like you just said a minute ago, well, I'm a good person. Well, I do these things. Well, I go to church. Well, I've been baptized. And we've come as a culture, at least in part, to see these things as well. If the person has done these things, they must be a Christian. Uh, but but listen, that's no different than than Catholicism, you know, that that says, hey, you're you're merited salvation on the basis of your works. It's the uh, backbone of of most of Catholicism. Absolutely, and we do the same thing in a Christian context when we say hey, this person's saved because of good works. Uh, you know, and even in that, John, we could do another another podcast on that. But if, if somebody merits themselves salvation or says they deserve salvation because they're pretty good, then they do not understand, first of all, grace. Secondly, the gospel itself, uh, because we're not good. There's nothing in us that's good uh, except Christ, except his spirit that resides in us. Yeah, that's right. And I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking about Romans three, where, you know, Paul pivots to there's none righteous. No, not one. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. You know, you know, uh, the poison of asps is under our tongue. I'm, I'm getting this all out of order, but our throats an open grave. And he just drives the point home that that, it, you know, when he says and he says no one does good. He actually says that, doesn't he? To the church at yeah. Rome. So, yeah. So. How how do we get from, I mean, that is really who man is. You know, I love the fact that Paul Washer says that really pastors should preach on who God is and who man is yes. forever. And that that is so true. We need to come back to that because it informs us on the gospel. But how do we get as humans, how do we get from, from being so depraved, so sinful, you know, uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, dead in our trespasses and sins, to... I can be good enough. There's intrinsic, isn't there intrinsic self-reliance and arrogance in, in us that allows us to adopt that theology? Well, absolutely. It, to me, one of the, uh, the areas we get there to that, in er, that, that horrible theology is, is eisegesis, you know, reading into the text, reading ourselves into the text. As opposed to and, exegesis, which is reading yeah. out of the text what it says. In other words, what you're really saying is, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but what you're really saying is, coming into the scripture with some big lenses on that interpret scripture according to some preconceived notion we have. You said it best, preconceived notion, to approach the scripture with what I think they should say, or rather what I want them to say, instead of reading the text and letting the text speak. And listen, I mean, that, that, that kind of, if we go to the text reading into it what we want, it's going to affect your ecclesiology, it's going to affect your your. Every aspect of your theology is going to be affected by that. And one of the areas, as we're talking about today, that being salvation, is, uh, is we don't see salvation, or rather a lot of the culture doesn't see salvation as a supernatural thing anymore. It's something that we do in ourselves, and then God grants us, hey, you, you've done these things, then you're good enough now to inherit the kingdom of God, rather than looking at salvation as something spiritual and something that God has to do. You know, I think it was, again, you mentioned Paul Washer. I think it was him who one time said in a sermon that uh, that God does perform the greatest miracle in the world today, and that is saving men who were spiritually dead and bringing them to new life. But but we don't see that as a miracle anymore because we've, 
we've infused the language of salvation with things like this, except Jesus. Now, now who is the emphasis on? Man. Or, or pray this prayer and ask him into your heart. Well, the emphasis is on man, not on God. And let me just speak to that very quickly. Uh, if somebody accepts Jesus, which he doesn't need our acceptance, first of all, but accept, accept him as Lord or praise the sinner's prayer, uh, I always tell our congregation this. Uh, if you prayed that prayer or walked that aisle, it's because God first saved you in your seat. Otherwise, you would not have the ability or the desire even to want to know him. God acts first. He loves we love because he loved us, is what First John says. Now, you're talking about something really complicated. First of all, you used a big word a minute ago, and just for the person who just dropped by here and doesn't understand theology, what is ecclesiology? Ecclesiology is the study of the church, okay. just the ordinances and eschatology, study of end times, uh, different, different aspects yeah, of theology. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Okay. I just want to be clear, and I agree with what you're saying. You're talking about the order of salvation. The other thing Paul Washer says in that regard is, he says, I can't explain how a righteous, holy God, righteous meaning morally pure, holy meaning separated apart from us, can save a a dirty, rotten sinner. He doesn't maybe say dirty, rotten, but, you know, a, a, a totally <laughs> depraved sinner. I can't, I, I, he said, I struggle to explain that. Uh, uh, but, but I believe it nonetheless, Paul says that a lot, Paul Washer about, about these truths that are difficult to reconcile. He also yeah. says that he holds his fists out and I've stolen this from him in my classes. God is and he and he kind of pumps one fist and says, God is completely sovereign in salvation. And you just talked about the order of salvation and that's important to know, but man also makes choices and is responsible for those choices. And no one is eternally damned for any reason other than rejecting Jesus Christ. And you believe that to be true, don't you? Amen. Yes. Explain that as best you can, that how those two things, and I know you can't connect, can't connect it fully. We can't, we believe it to be true nonetheless, but how do those things work together? In other words, if a person's sitting out there and they say, how does a person become a Christian then? Charlie, since you said, you said God prompted you to walk down the aisle, then what is it? How does God's sovereignty, how do God's sovereignty and man's making choices work together as best a person on earth can explain it? So God's sovereignty and free will is what we're talking about. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's one that, that the Bible speaks to, and it's also a mystery that I don't think man can fully unravel. I love what John MacArthur said one time in a sermon. He said, uh, God's sovereignty, man's free will. He said, people have asked him to explain that, and his response, and this is Dr. John MacArthur, his response is, I don't have to explain it. I just have to believe and preach it yeah. both times. Yep, yep. You know, when it comes to free will, I'll speak to that in brief, and again, we could do another another podcast on that. But I've had the question before, does man have free will? And it depends on your view of Scripture, because, uh, you know, Jesus says, I believe it's John chapter 8, that our, our personhood, our will, is enslaved to sin until the Son sets it free. So that speaks right there. If you're going to talk about, you know, your ability, uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, you don't have an ability that, that is free. 
it is shackled to sin, meaning you don't want anything but sin. As, as Paul said in Romans 3, no one in their flesh understands God or seeks God uh, because of what Jesus said, we're enslaved to sin until the Son sets them free. Um, so again, the view of free will, I would say, in my estimation of what Scripture says, our will is not free. R.C. Sproul gave this example one time. He said, we have a, a will, you know, as far as Coke, Pepsi, BMW, Porsche, under the sun, we have a will and we can, you know, choose things. He said, but but ultimately, when it comes to the relationship between God and man, that ability of man to reach up and grab God's hand, he said, we're spiritually dead. And as Sproul said, dead men can't do things. Jesus said in John 15, I believe it was, that uh, without me, you can do nothing. And uh, again, I'm, I'm quoting from Sproul on his sermon from John 15. Mm-hmm. He said that nothing is not a little something. It's literally, spiritually, you can do nothing. You're inept. And so God truly is in that view. And if you think about it, he really is a savior then. Okay, I I have no ability to say then, well, God, I did this, and then you saved me. No, God truly is a savior and a miracle worker bringing a spiritually dead man back to life. Mm. You know, MacArthur also says, uh, that's above my pay grade. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when, exactly. When, when he tried. And so you've come to the place and here you are preaching every week. You've been doing this for a, a long time and, you know, you're in seminary classes. You, 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 you're around some smart people. You've developed some friendships uh, among theologians. And you're saying there are mysteries here. There, there's something. Deuteronomy. Go ahead. I was going to say Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The the revealed things belong to us. The revealed things are Scripture, but the secret things belong to God. And that's Moses tells us there's things that are not going to be revealed uh, to man this side of heaven. Yep. R.C. used to bother me if I'm really honest, and I shouldn't. I, you know, he was a good friend. I shouldn't talk about him now that he's no longer with us like this. But he could take such a I hate to say it this way, but a God's eye view of things. And he did a good job of that, whereas I, I'm more temporal uh, in my perspective, and he helped stretch me, and I think you just did with a couple of those analogies. I think you helped stretch this audience a little bit to maybe think about these truths a little more accurately now. And I, I know these things come up all the time in Reformed theology, and, and I, I understand the solas and the five points of Calvinism and all of that, but for the... For the, for the average person, we, we've established the fact that, that okay, we, on, on this topic, we can't, this big topic is the fruits of salvation. We can't, we can't be good enough. We've established that. I think that's, that's clear. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And Paul goes on in Romans in, uh, 4 and 5 to talk at, at, all the way through 8 to talk about the captivity uh, our, uh, through seven, rather, our, our captivity, we're enslaved to sin and then freed in Christ. But how can a person or, or can a person look at their own lives? I'm talking about being introspective, not me evaluating my neighbor or the person sitting next to me at church. But how can we look at our own lives and get assurance of our salvation? How does that work? What kinds of things should we consider when we address that? Because I think that's something that for those people who are saying, well, he just said, I can't walk an aisle and pray a prayer. And that's what I did. 
what what is it that gives a person assurance and where where should we go for that the assurance of salvation is one of the the, the topics that i get approached with the most um from believers and non-believers uh, wanting to know how you can know that you're truly saved and uh, i believe scripture gives us that blueprint um, but first of all a truly saved regenerate person uh, has a different heart they desire the things of god it does not mean they're sinless and let me speak to this uh, because i know i i've beat up the the adage of saying the prayer and asking jesus into your heart um i believe someone can be saved through and let me say this in spite of that i believe that they can do all of those things uh and god can save them but he didn't save them because of that prayer i do he too. saved them will yeah um so let me just say that first of all but Second of all, you know, I've had, this was about a month ago, I had uh, a gentleman come in my office and he asked the question, you know, he was broken. He said, I am, I'm broken. And he was weeping as he sat before me. And he said, I I just want to know that I'm saved. And I I have these sins in my life that I'm battling. And, uh, you know, I know that I can't save myself and I can't do anything to merit it. And, uh, and I, I, I saw the, the passion in this man and I told him, I said, you know, a, an unregenerate person wouldn't have this weeping over sin. An unregenerate person wouldn't have this desire to know God's law, to please God. Uh, we, we can't look at ourselves and say, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm, 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 we, we all have sin. We all fall short. We'll, we will all battle this until uh, we cross that bridge over to heaven. And by, by we all, you're talking about post-actual regeneration, post-salvation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Christian believers who, who, yes, after they are regenerated, we're going to battle the flesh. The apostle, one of the greatest comforts to me is the apostle Paul, uh, when he wrote, you know, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, and I, I don't do the things I know I need to do. One of the uh, hardest, one of the hardest sections in Scripture for me to understand. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Me too. But I believe, uh, if you want to boil it down to nuts and bolts, I believe that the true regenerate person has a different heart. And I think you can look back and see that change within yourself. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about a new desires being implanted in your heart. And uh, you'd probably, would you say something like this? Uh, we can look back. It's helpful. And, and, and if a person's just been saved, it's this hard to do, but isn't it helpful to look back five years or 10 years? And as you get older, 15 or 20 and, yeah. and, and evaluate, because isn't there a gap? There is. I'm just asking the question this way. It, there's a gap between our glorification, even our sanctification, our sanctification process bridges a gap between our regeneration and justification, which happen at a moment in time. And there's a period of time between that moment and our ultimate glorification, which is in Paul's words, it's future glory. And so we're still wrestling like Paul was. I believe that section isn't that difficult in Romans seven. I believe Paul is not talking about his unconverted self as some theologians say, I think he's talking about post-conversion. Don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. This life on this earth, the implications of the fall are worse than sometimes we're prepared to admit, aren't they? Yes. And we, we talk about, uh, you and I have an affinity for Paul Washer. And one of the things that, that he has said is for the Christian, for you to look at yourself, are you beginning to love the righteousness of Christ that you once hated? 
and hate the sins that you once loved. And that's always stuck with me. Yes. That's sanctification. And yes. it's not perfection. But as you look at yourself, like you said, over the past, you know, since your regeneration, are you loving righteousness? Are you loving the word more and more and hating your sins more and more? Or is there stagnation? Uh, do you, you know? let me say it. Let me try to say it this way. Do you look back at the sin you reveled in and celebrated mm-hmm and loathe it and hate it and feel devastated by it. Now, when you look back, isn't that what we're saying here? And isn't that what Paul Washer tries to get across? Well, also Jesus said that, uh, you know, his sheep love his commands and they love to obey his commands and it's not a burden for them. Now, again, that's not talking about perfection, but Jesus said, uh, you know, King David's a perfect example. Who was a bigger sinner than King David? Yet we read in the Psalms of him saying, your word is like honey to my lips. Uh, I I desire it like a deer panting for water. That's the heart of someone who's truly saved, Uh, that their sins break them, that they're broken. When When you sin, ask yourself the question, as you just said, John, do I revel in this sin or does it break my heart? Uh, that I have done this sin, that I've transgressed against the one who has loved me so greatly, uh, and do I want to run from it? Well, you've got me thinking now about a whole different aspect of this, and and I I, I don't want to take too much time, but I but I do want to hear all your thoughts on this uh, that we can share in this format. There's a thing that happens, I believe with age uh, it, during the sanctification process. And I, I can't stand some of these words that we use where we say, and, and if you like these words and you're listening, that's, that's okay. But we say perseverance of the saints and, and, and we, we really mean perseverance of God. Although I get why we say the saints because yeah. that's what it looks like. Yep. But as a person matures in the faith, I think we become more and more and more aware of our sin as we get older. And I, I have yeah. very few original thoughts. I steal thoughts from my old friend RC a lot. And, and like you said, we both enjoy Paul Washer who, by the way, says that he, he'll during a sermon, he'll say, I don't get invited a second time. A lot of places because he, <laughs> yeah. he says the truth in real plain terms. So for those of you who are going to go on YouTube and find him, I would encourage you to do that, but just kind of brace because yeah, and hear him out because uh, he he does use a, a little bit of shock and awe uh, sometimes. Mm. But but boy, the truths are beautiful. But what do you what do you say to like that man you were talking about that 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 comes to see you to talk about assurance, and he says, "I'm struggling with," and we hesitate to talk about this in the church, and it saddens me. But I'm struggling with doubts and fears. I'm I'm yes yes I'm. I am maybe even guilt and there, there's so much theology in there and you've kind of already addressed the doubts, but are there some helpful thoughts that a person can have who says, Hey, those guys talking on that relentless truth podcast, they're right about me. I can see growth. I can see that I don't celebrate the sin I once celebrated and that's good. But what do you tell people who say I'm, I've got these doubts and fears and I'm even guilty for having the doubts and fears. And let me tell you where I'm coming from, Charlie, on this. I grew up in a church that would say something like this, and I love those people, and I gained, I benefited from being there, but this was very unhelpful to me. If I expressed a doubt or fear, or anybody did, we were told, that's of Satan, 
if you walked the aisle and prayed the prayer, you, you did the thing, you, you went through the process, you joined the church, you've been baptized, you're saved. And that's just Satan putting doubts and fears in your, in your heart. And that, that might be true, but could you just comment on that? Because I think yeah, it's an area we struggle with. First of all, when it comes to doubt, the disciples doubted. Thomas doubted when the resurrected Christ was standing right in front of him. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that gives me assurance that when <laughs> we exactly. have doubt. That's a great answer. But, but also further than that, I call First John and the book of James litmus tests of the faith. And I tell people, if you want to know that you're saved, if you want to know what true living faith looks like, go read First John. Go read the book of James, and it literally is describing what a Christian looks like. Now, when you read those books, you cannot read that with the lens of, okay, I've failed in this position, this this right here, I must not be saved. No, no, no. Read these things, and where you see your shortcomings, does it break your heart? Is there a weeping over sin and not a laughing over sin? Do we want God in our thinking and not our old way? I think it comes down to just evaluating. If we're doubting and wondering if we're truly saved, the Word of God is the ultimate source of assurance. Not my words, not any other pastor. God's Word gives us so much assurance. And if we read these marks of faith, furthermore, look at men like uh, like the apostles. Like we just talked about the doubt they had. Look at their shortcomings. Read the life of David, who committed adultery and had a man killed. You know, these great sinners who then would go on and just be mortified by their sin. You can see that they hate their sin and they strive to follow in the ways of Christ. That gives me assurance. Do we have that kind of heart uh, or or is it just something that we're flipping about? Well, yeah. And, you know, I'm wondering if you could comment on this, too. They uh, where I was headed a minute ago and I, I lost my train of thought there is it, if if we as we get older and mature, don't we become more aware of our sin? Don't we, don't we have a heightened, um, it seems to me like I do. Uh, and, and I, I, I I believe that's what Paul is expressing in some of his epistles where, uh, you know, he is maturing in the faith as well and becoming more aware of his sin when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. And, you know, he, he, if you follow the chronology of his epistles, he, he, he's a little harsher on himself as he goes along. Is that what, is that what that is? Do you think? Right. I believe that. I believe we become more critical of ourselves and our sin. And you said it best. It becomes more apparent to us. It sticks out. It grieves us more. It saddens us more. The struggle becomes more obvious to us. Well, you know, I'll I'll tell you, I always look back at this story and kind of laugh, but, uh, I had a friend of mine many years ago call on the phone and he wanted to talk. And this friend of mine, a great friend, but uh, I knew we hadn't talked in a while and it was going to be a long conversation. I knew it was going to be probably hour, hour or two, maybe catching up on all of these things. And it was at the end of the day and I was really tired and I didn't feel like being on the phone. And this friend of mine called and uh, Lacey, my wife, answered the phone. And when I, when she told me, she kind of whispered, uh, Hey, it's so-and-so on the phone. I told her, I whispered back, I said, tell him I'm not here. And immediately I was convicted and, and it was like a hot flash in my mind. And yep. I thought, I just told my wife to lie for me. Yep. <laughs> so I ended up talking on the phone for two hours <laughs> because <laughs> I was convicted. I, I couldn't tell her to, even if it was just a white lie, you know, I knew in my heart that I just told my wife to, to lie. 
And, and it's that kind of thing with the believer. I think the, the closer we grow to Christ, the more even little sins are going to bother us. Mm, that's exactly right. And so I think if, if I were to, if I were to answer the question, say a, a friend came to me and said, how do I know that I had saving faith? And I actually had something like this happen years ago. And it, there was a lady who came to the session and, and she was, I think she might've been 80 years old. And she said, she said, how do I know? So you talk about election and God's, God's really, I don't want to get into those weeds, but it, God's sovereignty and salvation. How, how do I know I'm one of the elect? And the answer to that, and I, I got to hear R.C. Sproul answer that question, is, is really, do you have faith and repentance? Did, did, do you have faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work? Yes. And, and those words have to have meaning, too, to us. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we got to explain what that is. But, but the person asked, and R.C. repeated this uh, rhetorically several times, so I might not get this right. It's been a number of years. But the person asked, well, how much faith do I have to have? Now, already when I hear that, uh, Charlie, I know your story, you know my story. And and the, we, we kind of grew up that way, didn't we? Kind of wondering yeah. that. And so already my, my lights are flashing. But you know how he answered? He said, he said, any. <laughs> yeah, how much faith yeah. do I have to have? Any. What, what we're doing, what you and I said on another episode is, is we made salvation too, too Charlie and John centric. Uh, yeah. And instead, what we are to do, because, you know, that's how we think as humans, uh, what we are to do is put our trust, our reliance in Jesus Christ. And to do that. And, and, and there's all kinds of scripture we could talk about. And these words are very important to do that. We have to repent. We have to turn from our self-reliant sin to Christ reliant dependence in faith. Absolutely. And, you know, even those words, faith and repentance, we know we've heard it, you know, ad nauseum in our, in our churches and, and everywhere that we must have faith and repent. And that's what true salvation is. But I believe these words even can become ethereal at times where we just say them. And then if you press that, many people don't even know what that means to have faith or to repent. Uh, and I believe, you know, if anybody could answer that question, like you just said, R.C. Sproul knocked it out of the park. Do we have faith and do we repent? And furthermore, what does that faith look like? Uh, is it a true reliance knowing that I did nothing, that I could do nothing, and that he truly saved me and my my salvation is in his hands fully. He is working within me um, and he's not going to allow me to fall away. Uh, do you have that faith in Christ knowing that your salvation is secure in him? But furthermore, on the note of repentance, um, what what is repentance to people? Well, it's not just turning from sin one time. It's, it's a daily turning from sin. I would say it's a minute by minute turning from sin. It is realizing like what we just talked about a minute ago, little things, little sins in my life that jump out at me, that convict me, that bother me, because I see them not as little in, insignificant sins or like a little white lie, but actually a transgression against the God of the universe that has been so merciful to me. Is that growing, that feeling, that, that uh, I should say feeling, that 
that understanding of God multiplying day by day, hour by hour, to where we have that repentance. Um, that that's repentance. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. I would say that the Christian begins to walk in. Yeah, I hear you, and I think those things are important. You brought up an issue that I just want to follow up on, and it's it's unfair in just a couple of minutes to do this to address this one. But I'm just wondering. Then there's a a lot of times when we talk about the doctrines of grace. We get accused of being on a spectrum toward antinomianism. And what would you say about this issue? If a person is truly regenerated, does God keep us and are we saved forever? Absolutely. God keeps us. If we're truly saved, truly regenerate, God keeps us. God saves us. But on the note of antinomianism, and that is... uh, basically anti-law if you get down to the oh yeah the meaning i should have should have said that yep yeah it's anti you know god's law doesn't apply anymore to me and not we're saved by grace i can go eat, eat drink and be merry i'm saved i punched my ticket life life is good i can go do what i want yeah and, and jesus specifically said i did not come to abolish the law i came to fulfill it so the law is still active now we again another another podcast i'm sure but, you know, Jesus fulfilled, you know, these ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws and all of these. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one that the Old Testament was pointing towards. But as far as, you know, judicial and, and God's ways of justice and upholding justice, those apply. How do, you, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love God above all things? The, you know, the Ten Commandments. Well, you look back at God's law that tells you how to love your neighbor don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's things. Uh, you know, we go back to the Old Testament to see the law of God that is still applicable. Yep. And and furthermore, the law of God, walking in the law of God, living God's law, is how the Christian ultimately will transform society, modern day society. Uh, the law of God, walking in God's laws. We apply these things, Christians. We apply this to the justice system. We apply this to our everyday life. We apply this to uh, loving our neighbors. Uh, so the law of God, there can't be an antinomian view of God's law. Uh, you know, that's, that's not even uh, the gospel. That's a, that's a negation of the gospel. Well, if I've learned anything over recent years, it is that words matter and they they have meaning, so I'm glad you you kind of paused that a little bit and and defined some of those terms because that's important. And what I was trying to get you to say, you did say, which is when you talk about repentance being an ongoing thing, you're not talking about a process where we keep ourselves saved. No. And that's that's an important distinction. Yeah. I tell my students I tell my students sometimes, you know, I, I it's it's really important when we approach scripture and you mentioned eisegesis and we talked about eisegesis exegesis earlier it's really important to embrace the tension in scripture and to acknowledge the mysteries mm. in scripture some things and i again uh, i like the way uh we're certainly not deifying paul washer but i like the way he does this he says, on a human level, I can't explain these things, but I believe them to be true nonetheless. And I think that is where we where we have to land on, uh, particularly as we really dig into 
the doctrines like the order of salvation. Yes, and, and I'm glad you brought that up about repentance, and I want to clarify that real quickly. Repentance is a work of God, not a work of man. We can't make ourselves repent. I would say it like this, I, and this goes back to our original topic. Uh, repentance is, is one of the fruits of salvation. Uh, how do I know that I'm saved? Because I have a heart of repentance. Um, I, I desire to repent. I feel broken over my sins, and that's not something we uh, formulate or, or, or make happen in ourselves. If we are broken over our sins and desire to walk in God's ways, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God. Um, God Paul says this, I believe it's in maybe First Timothy, Second Timothy, but, but Paul literally says that repentance is a gift from God. So that tells you repentance isn't a work of man. Uh, it's a blessing, a grace of God. Yes, exactly. Amen. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you, uh, Charlie, again. Um, we really, I, I, as, as always, I had a list of six questions and we got to one of them <laughs> because of all these these rabbit trails. But this is so important. And I, I, I'm guessing that there are people listening to this who will say, hmm, I never quite heard that before. I never quite heard it put that way. Or my prayer is that they're saying that relieves me. That opens my eyes. I want to know more. So I want to encourage everybody in closing, and I'm going to have Charlie back next week. We're going to pursue some other thoughts. I want to encourage everyone who has those questions to uh, send them along. Uh, we will, uh, w- w- God willing, w- this this don't, won't be the last two episodes we do together because I, I think th- th- what we're doing is tapping into your pastoral gifts for this audience and and that's important these are these are weighty issues guilt and sin and doubts and fears and assurance of salvation fruits of salvation those are important doctrines and sadly in some of our churches they don't get discussed so i know you know i got to give a shout out to chip doster who is one of your elders at foothills Uh, I know that congregation gets these doctrines. And I'm guessing as a pastor, you kind of have to take a deep breath when you say some of these things to a flock you love. But at the end of the day, you wouldn't be a loving pastor if you didn't say them. So I want to talk about that next week uh, with you as well. So, folks, thank you for uh, listening and staying with us. Um, uh, This is uh, such a helpful discussion. If you do have questions that you'd like us to uh, address, we'd be happy to send along a comment from the website, johnwarrenmedia.com or an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for more with Pastor Charlie Parrish. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. John Warren.